0: Very, very fitting for this day. We say happy Memorial Day, but really it should be a grateful Memorial Day, right? We're grateful for those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for us to have our freedom. And we we still live in an awesome country, even though it's struggling right now. Uh, We're so thankful for those who paid that price. We're obviously so thankful for Jesus Christ who paid that ultimate price for something far greater than just earthly freedom, but freedom Uh, from the impact of of sin, both eternal impact of uh, future in hell, but also here today. In fact, um, what we're talking about has everything to do with uh, God freeing us, Uh, Jesus Christ making it possible for us to be freed from fear and depression and uncertainty and hopelessness and addictions and the things that we struggle with um, and, you know, what we deal with and what We've been talking about the last several weeks. You go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, I was just thinking in the back there, every single one of these songs um, that we were singing, we were telling God, you are the one who is to work in my life. We trust you to do what you want to do in our lives. And I don't know if you pay attention to the words as you're singing them, Um, I would encourage you to do that, because you are singing to God, Um, and these are ways for us to worship God in a way that we can tell Him um, what we feel about Him, what what He is to us. Paul's going to give us um, the path forward to winning the war for our mind, no matter what the specific issue is. Now, we're going to to talk about addiction. I, I mentioned that we're going to be talking about addiction today, but... Um, really, we're all addicted uh, to something. For instance, those who are depressed and anxious, uh, they are addicted to the thoughts that cause them to go down that road. Uh, the, and we've, again, we've been talking about this. So, if you missed any of these weeks, you're going to want to go back. Um, I don't want to take the entire time reviewing, uh, but we we have a tendency when those of us who deal with depression or in depression and anxiety, we're, we're focusing on incorrect things. We're we're focusing a a wrong understanding of life and of the future. We're we're not seeing things accurately. Those that are addicted to alcohol or legal or illegal drugs, food, shopping, exercise, whatever it is, whatever the thing is that we are giving ourselves to, the reason why we're doing that is because ultimately we're depressed and anxious about where life is, and so that we want to Have those things become the things that take us through, and then eventually, what happens is those things become what controls us, and so we use that to escape how we're feeling and what we're thinking. We want to feel something, we we want to feel energized, or we want to feel kind of just relaxed, and you know, we just don't want to be dealing with what we're thinking. But ultimately, we're all addicted to self. We're all addicted to thinking that we know better than God. We're all there, whether we want to say we're depressed or anxious, we know whatever. But we all do. In one area or another, or many areas, we think we know better than God. So what I want to do today is uh, I I know that we, we see doctors as experts, and they you know they are. I mean they've gone to a lot of school and they've got degrees I don't have my white jacket today. I forgot that. But I do have the stethoscope. And so I guess what I want to do is I kind of want to get on their level this morning. And uh, because actually, after all, they're the experts uh, on these things that we've been talking about. Um, actually, I guess I'm just being a little facetious. And you guys don't like my th- stethoscope. I can tell you're all like getting nervous. Like I'm going to come in. Deep breath. <sighs> I had my... Physical a while back. <sighs> Anyways, deep breath. <gasps> deep breath. Well, give me a chance. I gotta. Man, yeah, I just want to. Can I just relax before you make me do it again? Jeez. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting off track. But here, here's the deal. I'm gonna take this off because it's really tight around my neck. I'm not designed to be a doctor um, because of my neck. Um, so, but here's the deal. So I get a doctor's. Uh, you know, they go to school for a long period of time. They get, uh, you know, hopefully a good education on what happens to us and our physical bodies, and and how our physical bodies react, and what we might need for our physical bodies. And so they are they're experts on the physical body. But I, but I have to push back a little bit for for myself and all of us pastor guys uh, who are. Who have gone to school for a long period of time, who got degrees. I mean, if you don't believe me, you can go to my office. I have some up on the wall just because that's what you're supposed to do, and so I do. And so, where they're the experts in the physical world, we're the experts in the metaphysical world. But by that I mean the, the spiritual world. Now, I get it. Some doctors are quacks, and there are some pastors you shouldn't listen to. But there are some really good doctors. I happen to have one. He's awesome. I love him. He's like the best doctor. Um, I had one before I thought it was best. This guy's even better. But And there are good pastors, and I try to be one because I try to go what the what Scripture says, and I try to go with what Scripture says and then say, okay, we need to apply this. We need to trust this God who we've given our lives to. So I just want to make a little, real quick clarification. What we're about to talk about, um, Paul is talking to believers, to Christians, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And so, if you're here this morning, you have never taken that step of faith and, and given your life to Christ to have God be the one who controls your life, leads your life, and takes you through this life and into the next. Um, I would highly encourage you to do that because you're going to need God in your life to have Him do the things that we've been talking about and are talking about today, and we'll be talking about every Sunday and Thursday, and whenever we get together. And that simply is this: you, you need to understand that you're separated from God because of your sin. And sin is just disobedience to God. And we've all done it. All of us have sinned. And then to believe and understand that, but then also to understand that Jesus is God, and when he died on the cross, he paid the ultimate sacrifice. He did that not for his sin, because he was perfect. He did it for our sin. God said, hey, I'm going to let you die. And and by doing that, you're going to be the representative. You're going to take the place of those who would be willing to believe that you did that for them. And so you believe that, you ask God to forgive you of your sins. God forgives you. He restores his relationship with you. He places God the Holy Spirit into your life. And he is the one who confirms that. He is the one who guarantees your future in heaven. And he's the one who empowers your life in this world to do life God's way. And so Paul begins this path forward. Here's, here's how we're going to deal with whatever it is that we're dealing with in our lives specifically. This issue of depression, anxiety, addictions, the things that have kind of taken over our minds. And he first off, he says this, for though we, talk about believers, walk in the flesh, we live in this world, we do not war according to the flesh. And so the the battle for, the, the way forward for us, the pathway for us, is that first of all, we choose to not war according to the flesh. When that little word, do not, is, uh, is actually two letters in the original Greek. And it, it is the strongest way of saying that you don't do something. And so what Paul is saying here is, believers, those who have placed their faith in Christ, have trusted in God. We absolutely do not do life the way the world says to do life. And prior to coming to Christ, that's what we were doing. You remember 2 Corinthians 5.17. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they've placed their faith in Christ, they're a believer, he is a new creature, a creation. The old things, how we used to think, we used to think like the world thinks, those are passed away. And Behold, new things have come. New ways of thinking, new ways of responding have come. And again, it's, as I put it in parentheses, there, it's not an immediate thing. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't go, Lord, please forgive me my sins and I'm trusting that Christ died for my sins and I, I ask you to forgive me and and Lord, thank you for putting the Holy Spirit, bing, I can do everything that God wants me to do. You know, just <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. We've been thinking wrong for years. And so it's going to probably take some years to have God make that change in us. And so what does war, according to the flesh, look like when we deal with depression, anxiety, and addictions? How do the secular doctors, and sadly some Christian doctors, think about this issue, this struggle that we have for our minds. Well, first of all, they look at things uh, as individual degenerationism, which is a big word. I'm just trying to impress you. Um, but no, it's, it's a, it, what it says is this it kind of flows out of the evolutionary theory that there is no God and man evolved and man is continuing to get better and the gene pool is continuing to get better. And so everyone basically is okay, is good, uh, thinks about life accurately, and, and um, is not stressed by life. To, you know, over stress. We all get to just some stress in life, but everything is good. Everyone's everyone's mental health is good. And we go through COVID, and we're locked in our homes. We all start realizing we don't. Our mental health isn't that good. In fact, even again, Christians struggling. But anyways, what they say is everybody is is good generally. But there's individuals who are degenerates. And it's a, it sounds bad because we, we tend to use it not in a medical term. But basically what it says, it, they're basically, saying there's some individuals who are broken, who don't think right, who aren't experiencing the normalcy of everyone else. Because again, we're, we're a mass of cells and chemicals and we're developing and becoming better and better and better and better and our gene pool is getting better and better and better. And better. And then there's just some. And so we need to fix them. We need to help them be better. We need to make sure that they are helping our gene pool continue to evolve and become better and better. And so the, because they think that way, coming out of the evolutionary theory, they prescribe drugs. Because again, they believe all the abnormalities are chemically induced. So therefore the answer is chemical or medicinal. So how did we get to this point? How did we get to the point that we see our physical bodies as simply physical and not physical spiritual like we really are? Like we were all the way up until what we're going to see here in a second, um, until the um, you know sixteen hundred years since Christ, anyways. But really, all the way up to 1600s, everybody, including the doctors, they looked at humans as spiritual and physical. So what I want to do is i want to do this for you this morning. Because I think we think all of the medical world has a consensus that this is the way to deal with our issues of depression, anxiety, and addictions. And I'm here to tell you, that's not true. And so I want to I want to take you through what non-believing doctors who have been involved in this area believe about the situation. Just so you can know that there's a difference within the medical world about this issue of uh, again the, the, what we've been dealing with. The first one is can- uh, Dr. Candace Pert. She's a former chief of brain bio- biochemistry at the National Health Institute. Uh, And so she's going to tell us, I'm going to have her read a quote, a little bit long, so hang in there. But she's going to tell us, how did we get here? All right? So here's how it goes. It was then that Rene Descartes, the philosopher and founding uh, father of modern medicine, was forced to make a turf deal with the Pope in order to get the human bodies he needed for dissection. So, uh, Rene, he was going to uh, be dissecting bodies. He was going to research bodies, and that's what we want doctors to do, right? We love the fact that they're checking things out and making sure we get better and better and feel better and have the things that we need, so he was doing that. But there's an issue with the Pope, and so he had to make sure that he got that figured out. So, Descartes agreed he wouldn't have anything to do with the soul, the mind, or the emotions. That was the responsibility of the church. He, uh, if he could claim the physical realm was his own, right? So he Talked with the, the Pope, and they got that worked out. Alas, his bargain set the tone and direction for the Western science over the next two centuries. In two centuries, evolution came into play, dividing human experience into two distinct and separate spheres that could never overlap. There is the physical, that's what science deals with, and there's the spiritual, that's what the church deals with, but you can't bring the two together, creating the unbalanced situation, this, uh, this exclusive view of just the physical that is mainstream science as we know it today. So then, how did that thinking um, impact? So we, we take that thinking. Uh, in the 1800s, you have evolutionary thinking, which kicks God out completely. There is no God. And we are just chemicals that have happened to become really smart and we can do the things that we do. And, and, and then you have, in the 1900s, God kicked out of society. And so now God's not in government anymore. God's not in schools anymore. God's not in a lot of the churches anymore. And so now there's this really sense of God. If, if you even believe there's a God, you're a whack job. Like me. Kind of a, a whack job. So how did this impact on the physical chemical thing impact mental health? Dr. Alan Francis, he says this. Now, the DSM, let me explain what this is. It's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's on its fifth revision. It's currently in its sixth revision. And what they've done is over the years, they've put everything together in this, what is basically their medical um, Bible. And from that, they use that to diagnose everything. But here's the issue with this. When it comes to depression and anxiety, uh, the, the diagnosis is something that we do, that we tell the doctor. See, when I went in for my blood work, they wanted to find out what's happening in my body. And so they did a physical test, blood work and urine analysis, and they looked at that and they said, Hey, Harold, um, Your cholesterol is a little high, your uh, diabetes, your A1C looks really good, and your blood pressure is really good. Way to go. And so how do they know that? Because they took tests. I walk in, hey, I'm feeling great, doctor. He goes, I know, but we need to take a test. Why? Because what I feel doesn't matter. But then once he's done with that, then he asks this question. Have you had periods of sadness and discouragement and feelings of being down? And, and so I looked at him and I said, well, don't you have a test for that? Why are you asking me? Because here's the deal. If I said yes to that, but I'm lying to him, I told him no, of course. Do I have times of being down? Yeah, I've told you guys about them. Periods of time where I'm just discouraged and really down. and But if if I didn't have that and he says, Hey, do you have those times? and then I say yes, what's he going to do? He's going to give me medicine. Because there's no test. Anyways. So this DSM go back please. This DSM um, so the epidemic of major depressive disorder initiated by the loose DSM definitions was then driven by the combination of biological reductionism, which is bringing everything down to a, a chemical issue, among physicians, and you've got to follow the money and the fancy drug company marketing. This is the guy who was involved in writing DSM-IV. Okay? Doctors bought the storyline that all depression results from a chemical imbalance in the brain and therefore requires a chemical fix, the prescription of an antidepressant medication. You know, just a side note, if you come to me for counseling, I don't charge you. Now, I might ask for cookies, but I'm not charging you anything. I actually did it to one lady, and she actually, when she was done with the marriage counseling, she brought me a plate of cookies, (laughs) and was like hey, this could work. I could actually, you know. No, you got to follow the money. There's a reason why doctors want us to keep coming. There's money involved in the pharmaceuticals. You know, let's not be naive, people, right? Money, money, money. COVID, money. Patients and hospitals, money. Anyways, so this cause, uh, this is Dr. Um, Irving Kirsch. He's a placebo studies Um, director at Harvard Medical. And so he's skeptical. All right? He says this, antidepressants are supposed to work by fixing a chemical imbalance, specifically a lack of serotonin in the brain. Indeed, their supposed effectiveness is the primary evidence for the chemical imbalance theory. It's not fact. I know a lot of doctors do it, but he's saying, hey, listen, this is still a theory. But analysis of the published data And the unpublished data that were hidden by drug companies reveals that most, if not all, of the benefits are due to placebo effect. In other words, if you give a person antidepressants and you give them a sugar pill, they're both going to have a sense of feeling better. Okay, Why is that? Well, we'll go on. Where hopelessness is a central feature of depression, hope lies at the core of the placebo effect. Placebos instill hope in patients by promising them relief from their distress. Genuine medical treatments also instill hope, and this is the placebo component of their effectiveness. When the promise of relief instills hope, it counters a fundamental attribute of depression. Indeed, it is, a difficult, or it is difficult to imagine any treatment successfully treating depression without reducing the sense of hopelessness that depressed people feel. Hopelessness is a feeling. It's a looking at the world and there's no hope. I'm going to look at what I'm... i got this coming and this coming and I can't see this working right and I don't see that happening right and even if something good happens or something bad is going to happen. I'm just talking about myself, how I view things. If you're connected with me, you know. I've got... I have to go in a little TMI here, but I've got to go in for my colonoscopy and endoscopy. I, they get, I get it both ways. And so I've got to go to the doctor and, and I've got to go to a doctor before I have to go to the to have the procedure. Why? They just want to meet me. Oh, you've already done this before. You know me You know me inside and out. I mean, why do I got to go see the doctor again? And so I don't like that idea. I've got things to do. And so I think about that. And then I think about having to go to the hospital and sitting there in that gown. And I probably haven't eaten since the night before, and you have to do that thing before you go, and you know what I'm saying, and that doesn't feel good. And I don't like that. And so then I'm going to be in the hospital hungry, sitting in this gown, waiting for the doctor to come, and he'll be late because the other colonoscopy is going long. And then i got to sit there and wait for the doctor to come in. And now I'm just thankful there's no masks in, a, in the hospital. I would have been, that's why I didn't do my colonoscopy before, because I didn't have to go in with a mask. And so I'm sitting there, and finally the juice hits me. And I'm just like, oh, oh, you know, take me, I'm yours. <laughs> but up there, up to that point, I'm thinking about it right now, and I'm getting worked up about it. When I'm home and I'm thinking about having to do that, I start getting worked up about it. Why? Because I don't want to do it. (sighs) See what I'm saying? It's a feeling. What's the next one? Oh, so he goes on. Conversely, any treatment that reduces hopelessness must also assuage or lessen depression. So a convincing placebo ought to relieve depression. And Shane Lopez actually should have been a doctor. I apologize to him. Uh, he's actually passed away. Um, he's a former scientist, senior scientist at Gallup Research, um, also an author. He said, how we think about the future, how we hope, determines how well we live our lives. Our relationship with the future depend, uh, determines how well we live our lives. A convincing placebo ought to relieve depression how we think about the future how we hope determines how well we live our lives people who are depressed people who are anxious people who have given themselves over to addictive addictive behavior ultimately they don't have hope even christians have got to that point in their lives where they see no hope but god is our hope so what does that mean? How, how do we respond to that? And we've been talking about it for the last several weeks, and I talk about this all the time, but here's how Paul puts it in these last two verses. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. It's not how the world thinks, but divinely powerful. They're God-empowered. There is a spiritual side to life. For destruction of fortresses. That word in the Greek means strong military installation or strongholds or addictions. How we continually think and continually think and continually think and then how we try to escape those thoughts. We are destroying speculations. That's our reasoning and thoughts. And every lofty thing that we know better than God raised up against the knowledge of God. How much does God know? Everything, including things that could have happened that haven't happened. Including everything about you and everything about me. We just talked about it last week out of Psalm 139. He knows everything. And we are taking every, I would, or I in the world know better than God, every one of those thoughts we take captive to the obedience of Christ. So we're going to look at some weapons here, three of them. The first one actually has three parts to it. So weapon number one is that we need to have a godly perspective. And sort of one part of this weapon is this. We are in a war. Plain and simple. And if you don't know that, you're being naive. We are in a spiritual war. Why? Because we are in a spiritual world. It's not just a physical. There is Satan there are demons. We don't deal with them a whole lot. Why? Because we're already distracted by everything else in our world. We're not spiritual people. You go to some other countries where they're spiritists, where they're spiritual. Yeah, there's going to be more activity of, like that kind of stuff going on. Satan doesn't have to distract us with that because we're already distracted. Because why? Because we think everything is physical. But we are in a war. A war. Those of who have placed their faith in Christ, we've already won the war, but we have battles. And what, what Satan's doing is he's influencing this world and what we're trying to do is fight, move away from what the world thinks but we keep getting drawn back into it because we're still in this flesh and so there's this battle going on. But to win it, just like we place our faith in Christ for eternity, we need to fa- place our faith in Christ for tomorrow and the next day. And the next day. Listen, if, you're, if you are happy with your depression if you're happy with your anxiety, if you're happy with your addiction, if you're somehow gaining your identity from those, and believe me, there are people who are like that, then there's nothing I can say or anybody else could say to help you. But if you're sick and tired of it, if you're like, okay, I'm done with this, I want to move forward, man, then if you're a believer and you're trusting Christ for your future in heaven, trust Him for tomorrow. Begin the process today. I'm going to jump ahead to my take, don't, don't jump ahead. I'm jumping ahead. to my takeaway, my first takeaway, because I know some of you are sitting there going, I think he's telling me to get rid of my meds. No, I'm not. Just <sighs> please take a deep breath because I know what depression and anxiety feels like. And some of you are probably sitting here going, you're making me anxious. I'm not telling you, okay? I'm not telling you to get off your meds. You have to wait for a little takeaway. But I just want you to, I just feel like I need to say that. Secondly, you're not alone. See, where the medical world says individual degenerationism, the Bible preaches universal degenerationism. We're all degenerates. Again, not using that in the, gener- in the sense that we use it, using it in the technical sense, and that is we're all depraved in our thinking. We're all wrong in our thinking. We all need to be regenerated. we all need God's holy Spirit to come in and clean us out and give our lives uh, our, our, give us spiritual life and in that then to begin to change how we think. And so all of us are there. Let me just give you one example. I'm not going to turn there. you can write these down. Genesis 3:16 and seventeen. In Genesis three sixteen and seventeen, it's uh, it's what happened now because Adam and Eve chose to sin. There are some natural results that were going to happen to them because they d- chose to not do life God's way and to think they knew better than God. One of them was that the woman would have pain in childbearing, okay, and, and then the man would toil in the ground or on the ground, making toiling the ground, getting the weeds, pain and toil, same Hebrew word, just. The editors decided. The translator decided to make them different. Same word. Now we see and hear all the time physical pain for the women, right? Right, women with fat children. You know, I, I had physical pain when Kim was giving birth. That's because she bit my thumb. But that's beside the point. And it hurt. And I told her, "Hey, listen. You have nothing to say. You bit my thumb." I did not say that. To her. I said, "Could you get me something to eat, please, I no. <laughs> Did not say that either. And then for men, we say, "Yeah, physical pain. I am dying right now. My neck is killing me, and I was putting a floor down yesterday. And and I, I you know, I'm just old, and I don't keep remodeling a house, and I'm not sure what I'm doing, anyways." But you know what? You know what that word means? Anxious toil. Why? Because we're spiritual and we're physical. There is emotional, mental, and spiritual pain with having a child. Have you ever heard of postpartum depression? That's not new. 10,000 years ago, yes, I'm a young earther. 10,000 years ago, God said it was going to happen to women. You ever hear of a midlife crisis? Guys, you ever gone through it? What is that? It's depression. I don't like the way my life is. I don't like. I don't think I've accomplished anything. I got to change it up. I got to give myself a seventy-two vet. You know, it's that kind of thing. I got to give myself a new wife. Not me. i have to the vet, not the wife. Any, I'm getting in trouble. I got to. Woo! Cut the illustration. No, I'm keeping my wife. That's all I'm saying. She's awesome. Um, spin around. And I could go through and show you other passages of Scripture. Do you know Solomon was probably bipolar? Do you know uh, King David uh, was uh, depressive? We read his psalm last week, but have you ever read read the other psalms? I think I got another quote here. Yeah. So depression is a natural and normal human response to emotional injury or loss. Even when depressed feelings become extreme or unrelenting, that means long-term, these reactions usually have obvious causes, such as a breakup of a marriage, an inability to leave an unhappy marriage, the death of a loved one, a failure to work, an inability to achieve one's fondest hopes in life. Life's not going my way. Now, as a Christian, by the way, it shouldn't be going your way. It should be going God's way. Ill health or lonely, or, uh, lonely old age. Tell you about my dad when my mom passed away. A human emotional or psychological state, basically a feeling, should not be considered a disease simply because it becomes extreme. Dr. Peter Bregan, a psychiatrist. And we're just, when we constantly think about the wrong thing, it impacts us physically. That's how we were designed. Change how you think, you change how you live. Third aspect of this godly perspective, probably the most powerful, is that God is conforming you and me to look like Jesus. That's his goal. And once you understand what God's trying to do, everything else has perspective, proper perspective. So how it explains in Romans 8. Again, okay, we talk about this a lot. And we know that God causes all things, good and bad things, to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. What's the good? What's God's purpose? For those He foreknew, He also predestined. He chose to save them from hell. Why? To become conformed to the image of His Son. God didn't save you and me to make better versions of us. You don't want a better version of me. You want me to become more like Jesus. That's the guy you want to have around you. I don't want you to be a better version of you. I want you to be more like Christ because that's what I need from you guys. (laughs) I need you to, to love me when I'm unloving. Like a sermon like today. Remember Romans 12:2. We started out with this one. Don't be conformed to don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by how the renewing of your mind. Yeah, we don't renew it, God does. And we don't transform our life, God does. Paul says in Philippians 2 that Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to the point of the cross, and God highly exalted him for doing that. And so our next weapon that we have is that we need to have a godly attitude like Jesus, and that is humility. Paul says that we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing is raised up against the knowledge of God. Put plainly, stop thinking you know better than God. Be humble. Humble yourself. Speculations, it means um, cognitive process, reasoning, thought, rationalizations. We do that all the time. It's not Satan's thoughts. A lot of people say, yeah, well, you know, Satan, he gets me to do it. He's saying, no, 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 it's you. It's me. It's my thoughts. It's your thoughts. It's our rationalizations. What we think, we think we know better than God. The lofty things. It means to be have exaggerated evaluation of self. Again, what we think. And they're raised up, lifted up, higher than the knowledge of God. How much does God know? Infinite amount. Everything. Including everything about you and me. Again, we talked about it last week. Speculations and lofty things left to linger become fortresses. Here's a quote. The Greek used logismos to describe the consideration and thought which preceded and determined one's conduct. In present context, logismos speaks of reasonings that are contrary or hostile to the truth. We got another one after? Okay. So, these are, these are thoughts that are hostile to the truth. Hostile to what God says. Sherry, I think I missed that Again, where's that good quote that I had before, before I go on? Yeah, stronghold. Man, she's so good. So, here's the definition of a stronghold. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable something we know is contrary to God's will. He quotes another author. Or again, strongholds are negative patterns of thought that cripple our ability to obey God and thus breed feelings of guilt and despair, which is continuing depression and anxiety. They are burned into our minds, either through repetition over time, such as occurs in an abusive or incestuous relationship, or through a one-time traumatic experience. A child who's been abused, whatever the abuse is, a person who's been hurt in a relationship, a person who been hurt and then they think something about themselves because of what the person did to hurt them and they think about that over and over and over and over and over and over and now they're 30s and in their 40s everything that's happened in their entire life has been viewed based on that thing over there and it's not even true because of what God said but they didn't know that or as a Christian they didn't pay attention to it they knew better than God how they felt and so when they get here as an adult they struggle Stronghold. And so we need God's weaponry at work in our lives. The third weapon is a godly response. We need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The word captive means to take control, to make a prisoner. It's the same word Paul uses in Romans 7 when he talks about sin has kept me a prisoner. So what he's saying here is, hey, you can, you can be imprisoned by your sin, or you can, be, you, know, you can imprison your sin. Like You can take that thought obedient to Christ. It's your choice. Which means, by the way, you need to know the Bible. That's the weapon. That's the sword. We talked about that last week. We, we need to know Scripture. 70% of church-going people don't read Scripture, seldom, during the week. It's no wonder we have Christians who are depressed. They don't know what God's given them. So we take the wrong, inaccurate thought, we apply Scripture to it, and we force that thought to be obedient to Christ. is awesome? We're not doing it. We're applying God's Word to it. Shing, shing, shing. <laughs> Real quick. Oh yeah. So Jesus says this. Thank you. If you continue my word, which are found in the Bible, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, not the lies that you're thinking, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You're in God's word. You know the truth. You take God's word. You apply it to your life. You take a step of faith, and then the Son sets you free. You got to know it, but you got to do it. And for some of you, you're thinking about well, that. I got to do it all the time. Yes. Yes, 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 all the time. Thought comes in, kick it out. Thought comes in, God's word. Thought comes in, God's word. Thought comes in, God's word. Real quick, some steps of freedom. This is what I do. I'm just giving you what I do and what I've been doing for years, starting in my early 20s. I, I actually came up with this. You know. So first of all, choose to take your thoughts captive. I have a thought that comes in my head and I say, Lord, I choose to take that thought captive in obedience to you. And then I say, I choose to abide in Christ. I choose to set myself with you, Jesus. Romans 8, 11 says that the Holy Spirit puts us on like a glove. He empowers our mortal body. And so I have that idea in my head. I, I think about the fact that God's Holy Spirit is empowering me to do what I need to do. What do I need to do? I need to control my thoughts with Scripture. I need to have Scripture in my mind. I need to think Scripture. What is true about me? What is true about you guys when I think about you guys? What are the things that are discouraging me and getting me down? What's true about those things from God's word? And so you've got to know God's word. Matthew 4 is Jesus being tempted by Satan. What did Jesus do? He used the Bible. And then we need to respond appropriately. Whatever that looks like. It could be something very physical. Get out of the room that you're in. Turn the TV off. Put the phone down. Call for help. Text somebody. Email somebody. Call somebody. Respond appropriately. Fall on your knees. Someone once said, it's hard to sin when you're on your knees. Pretty good point. Well, besides training yourself to just these steps of freedom, what are some of the takeaways? I told you to get back to this one. If you're on medications, I'm not saying stop. That's not my purview. It's not, I don't deal in drugs, in medicine. I deal in the metaphysical. But start spiritually medicating. Get your mind thinking right. You never know. You could be finding that the meds are less and less needed. I mean, that's what happens to me physically. I, I was told to take more blood pressure medicine, but I didn't choose to do that. What I chose to do was start eating right. And exercising, kind of. And doing what I knew I needed to do to get my blood pressure down. I go back to the doctor. He's like, hey, so how's that, taking that medicine three times a day doing for you? Not doing it. Why not? Your blood pressure was awesome. No, I actually did the other stuff I should have been doing. (laughs) Eating right, exercising. You know. Secondly, are you addicted to something? Stop self-medicating. And start spiritually medicating. Now, this may take a fire hose of spiritual medication. You might have to literally, morning to evening, just God's Word, God's thoughts, God's music, just pouring it in, turning it. never having a TV on, reading the Bible for four hours a night rather than watching TV for four hours a night. Taking a break from doing whatever you do physically at night and, or bring your Bible into your exercise. Whatever. I don't know. I, you know. I don't live your life. I know what I have to do. And then third, this is going to take time. It's not an overnight deal. It's taking however long it's taking you to get to where you're at. It's going to take you some time. Now, that time period could be shorter than that time period because God's at work. If you choose to get God's word in your heart, and if you choose then to do what he says to do in spite of what you're feeling, thinking, or anybody else thinks, and watch him then renew the way you think, and as you take steps of faith, transform the way you live. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer.